0: This morning we are back in our equipped series and as I shared this last fall this could easily be a 10 to 15 year project that we are working on in order to equip believers to reverse some alarming trends that are happening within culture and also happening within the church so each year I'm going to share maybe four to six messages all together there will probably be upwards of 40 to 50 messages in this series. Now, while most message series have a single focus, maybe it is prayer or faith or maybe forgiveness or something like that, this is a multi-focused series that has a unifying concept of discipleship within the home. Everything that we're addressing comes back to discipleship Within the home, we're going to be talking about how it is that we build godly families and godly marriages and train children within the home and setting a Christ like example at home and living on mission from home. According to scripture, the Bible teaches that discipleship is primarily to happen in the home. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it tells parents and grandparents that they are to pass on the truths of God to their kids and their grandkids. The question is, how do we do that effectively? So in the series, we're discussing what it looks like to walk faithfully with God when you're single, married, divorced, or widowed. We're going to discover what God says about singleness. We're going to discover God's design for marriage. We're going to see what the Word of God says about the requirements of Christian parents and. What it looks like for men to be the spiritual leader within the home and how it is that you disciple and train your kids as they go from childhood to young adults and all the way into being married adults? How do you continue to disciple your kids effectively? We're going to be working through a discipleship plan for the family and how it is that you protect your family as best you can from a number of different types of cultural pressures that come against them. So put it all together, here's what the series is about. It's about discipleship that happens at home, impacting generations, and influencing the world for Christ. That's what we're about. Now, Lord willing, as we go through these different messages, there's going to be believers who make decisions at the point of the message that they will be glad they've made 10 years from now. If you want to change the future of your family, if we're praying that God changes the future of our nation, If we're praying that there's a different world for our kids and our grandkids, the decisions for that to happen start today. We don't wait 25 years from now, you start today. So all of that being said, we've got a lot that's happening within the next four weeks in this. For the next four weeks, we're going to be addressing marriage. Now let me just say from up front, if you are not married, this does not let you off the hook right now. Now is the time to learn these truths. And by the way, married people, in this fall, I'm going to be addressing singleness from scripture. That's not your time to skip out and go on vacation either, okay? The word of God is applicable regardless of the station in life that we might be in. So we're gonna be talking about God's design. We're gonna talk about roles and responsibilities. We're gonna talk about principles for building life together. Now, our key text in this is going to be Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. So if you would go ahead and turn over there, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Now, as you're finding your place in the text, let me pause for just a moment before we go any further. When people read what we're going to read in Ephesians 5 today, there is usually one of two reactions. Either I'll do it, but I don't like it. Or, I don't like it, so I won't do it. That's usually where people fall on these. There's not a lot of woo-hooing and high-fiving going on when we read this text. Now, I can understand those reactions. On the surface, on the surface, the teachings may seem archaic, if not even unfair. The verses have been taken out of context to justify selfish and sinful behaviors. These teachings will go against every societal norm in our culture. To accept these teachings, some people will think they have to be less human. To live these teachings, others might think they have to be superhuman. As I've walked couples through these verses in premarital counseling, there's usually one of three responses that I get. The first response is that, The young man and the young lady will look at me as if I have three heads, and they are just dead silent, just staring at me like I have no idea what you're just talking about. The second response is that a couple will politely smile at me, then sheepishly smile at each other as if to say, don't upset the preacher because we still need him to do the ceremony. But we're not doing that. I can read body language, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Or the third reaction is often the young lady, she'll listen and she'll lean in afterwards and says, would you please explain that to me? I understand. These teachings that we're getting into, they're just as biblical as John 3.16, but they've not been taught as much as John 3.16. So if these verses make you uncomfortable, if they get you angry, if you have an uncontrollable urge to throw something at me in the middle of the message, I understand. I don't like it, but I understand. I have shoes on I can run in. I, I don't like it. I understand. Now before we get there, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you as best you possibly can to withhold judgment until we're finished with this. Get all the way to the end of it. Now, here's why that, I think that's important. One, if you do that, it gives me a running start when your heads are bowed in prayer at the end. <laughs> but more importantly, I think we're going to come to the end of this text and people will see not only is that good, but that's great. That's appealing. Like that's what I want my marriage to look like if I had the verbiage to be able to write it down myself. So one last thing. These messages are for everyone. So if you're married, engaged to be married, hope to be married someday, these are for you. If your marriage is in shambles, if it is functioning but not fulfilling, or if it's doing pretty well, these messages are for you. It is my prayer that God is gonna use these messages in this series to strengthen families as well as solidify Christian legacies. So if you're not already there, look with me if you would. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 22 through 33. We're going to read the text this morning, but we're going to primarily be focused on one verse towards the end. Then we're going to come back in the next couple of weeks, and we will work through each of the other parts. Here's what it says, starting in verse number 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, is Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into the text, Lord God, may your spirit guide us. We pray today that hearts would be willing to understand and even move past the hurts so that they can fully listen to what's happening in the word. We need you to do this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we get started, I have a cell phone story for you. It might seem like a random story for the first couple of moments, but it has a lot of relevance at the end. So here we go. Once upon a time, I had a cell phone. Actually, that's not my story. I still have a cell phone to this day, but at one particular point, I had a a phone that it started acting strange. As I'd charge it at night, it'd be fully charged. And then the next day, without literal any usage, it'd be half drained by noon. And I knew it was annoying, but I was thinking to myself, I just don't have time to worry about that right now. So I started taking a charger with me to work, just to make sure that I could actually have enough power on my phone to make it home. And I did that for a while thinking, surely this will get better, and it simply did not get better. Now what makes this story worse is the phone was like four and a half months old at that time. It should have had no issues whatsoever. So finally, I decided this is annoying. I need my phone to work right. And I started running my own diagnostic test on my phone. Now, granted, I know nothing about phones. Granted, I am not an IT person, but that did not stop me. I I wanted to find out what was going on. So I started running my own test. I fumbled around with the settings. I researched the specs on the phone. I found out how long the battery should last based on talk time and standby time and running certain apps. I talked to a couple of friends who had the same phone to find out whether or not they were experiencing the same difficulties I was. I checked some online forums and I adjusted a few more settings. And after several weeks of doing that, my phone was in just as bad a shape as it was when I started. So finally, I decided I'm going to take it back to those who made it. I took it to an Apple store and set up an appointment with a guy at the Genius Bar. So I get into the store, and I go to the Genius Bar, and I talk to the guy, tell him everything that's going on, and he says, do you mind if I run some diagnostics? And I was like, did you not listen to me? I have been running the diagnostics on this already, but granted, I don't have a cool blue T-shirt on, and the word genius is not on the wall behind me, but knock yourself out, bro, do what you need to do. So he plugs my phone into a computer and within a matter of seconds, he was on a page I did not even know existed in my phone, and it started spitting out data like he just hacked the Pentagon. I mean, information's rolling out of my phone. And he looks at it for like a whopping 4.2 seconds, and he says, The problem is there's a program running behind the scenes that's draining your battery. We need to turn that off. We need to reset your phone, and it'll be right. And guess what? It was right. Is there a moral to this story? You betcha, cowboy. I got one for you. (laughs) Here's the moral. Answers are found at the source. Answers are found at the source. The way I dealt with my phone is the way many couples deal with their marriage. They recognize a problem. They just don't think they can stop long enough to address the problem. So they keep going on and on and the problem just gets worse. And by the time they finally decide, I need to do something about the problem, they then enter into their own little unique formula of DIY marriage fixers. And they try to self-diagnose it, and they try to find the source of the issues, and they read every single book on marriage that's put out there, and they talk to their friends. Many times their friends' marriage is worse than their own. They talk to their friends, and then they talk to counselors, and then they go through all of the different things... And finally, maybe, possibly, after all of that's done and it's not gotten any better, they might go back and say, I wonder what God has to say about this. Can I just tell you from the beginning, save yourself some headache and hassle and run to the source. Run to God's word. Go back to the one who created marriage. The issue here is when I took my phone to the company that made it, they were able to correctly diagnose the problem, address the problem, and eliminate the problem. Why? Because they created the phone. When you take your marriage back to God, he can correctly diagnose the problem, address the problem, and eliminate the problem. Why? Because he created marriage. Go back to the one who created it. So many of our problems are compounded and they're extended because people run everywhere other than back to the source. They don't run to God, they don't go to his word. Now, somebody might say, But Paul, I was reading the latest research. Yeah, that's your first problem right there. Did you know God's plan for marriage has not changed? It doesn't matter if it's the latest research. Or if it was from 20 years ago, unless it's what the Word of God says about the design, you're still looking at the wrong piece. Now somebody might say, but Paul, I went to a counselor and and things got better. I don't want to take away a bit from what God can do using a counselor in your life. But let me also say, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that needs to be a biblical counselor who takes you back into the Word to help you understand what it's all about. Some of you have already heard before, but the divorce rate of those who claim to be Christian is the exact same as those who claim not to be Christian. One study I read found that only 15% of couples surveyed considered themselves to be fulfilled and happy in their marriage. 50% of those surveyed said, I am neither fulfilled nor happy, but I'm gonna try to stick with it because I think that's right. 35% said, I am neither fulfilled nor happy, and I'm about to get a divorce. Put those numbers together for just a moment. That would suggest 85% of marriages are either not on a great path, or they're about to fall off a cliff right now. I I know everybody's story is different. I get that. I understand that sin changes things. I understand that life is not a fairy tale. I get all of that. But that's why a passage like Ephesians 5 is so important. The Apostle Paul does not take his argument back to the latest marriage seminar or the latest cultural trend. He anchors his teachings back in Genesis, back in creation, back when marriage was designed to begin with. Verse number 31 is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. He goes back to God's design of marriage that is instituted in the garden. Here's why that's so important. We have to discuss design before you can talk roles, responsibilities, problems, or even goals in marriage. Because if the design is off... You're operating against God's intended purpose for your marriage. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back over to Genesis chapter 2 for just a moment. Turn over there, Genesis chapter 2. If you don't know where it is, just open up the cover of your Bible. You're probably there. First book, Genesis chapter 2. So let me tell you what's going on in Genesis chapter 2 just to get everybody oriented for a moment. God is engaged in the creative process in Genesis 2. He calls for light, and there's light. He tells the land to emerge from the water, and land appears. He creates the sun and the moon, day and night, the sky and the universe. He is creating everything through the power of his word. He speaks, and it is so. And then God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And it's after this that Adam is created. So when God looks at his creation, he says of the sun and the moon and the land and the sea and the animals and the plants, he says it is good or it is very good. But when he looks at Adam, he says it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Verse number 18. The problem then is the problem today. It was a problem of loneliness that was happening. Verse number 19, notice what's happening. It says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. Verse number 20, it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept And he took one of his ribs, and then go further to the text, it says, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from a man and brought her to the man. So when God created animals and birds, he went to the dust of the ground. When he created Adam, he went to the dust of the ground. When he created woman, he went to the flesh of Adam. Listen to what's the connection here. Adam recognized the uniqueness of this. His next words are, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. There's a relationship here that is unique and close. It is shared. It's personal. And it's in the next verse that God performs the first marriage ceremony or wedding ceremony. I I like the way the King James Version has this verse. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. That verse you find God's basic design for marriage. His basic design for a man and a woman to be united in marriage. Now let me pause here. A man and a woman to be united in marriage please hear my heart, I am not trying to be ugly, I am not trying to be mean, I am not trying to stir up controversy or problems. God's design for marriage is for a biological man and a biological woman to be united together in marriage. I have to say biological man and biological woman because it's not who you identify with as to whether or not it's a man or a woman. Now again, I, I know our culture is on a different page here. I recognize that the Supreme Court has tried to redefine what marriage is for people living in America. God did not redefine what marriage is. His word is just as true today as it has ever been. Now we're going to get into why this design is so incredibly important. So here's his design, simple as I can make it. This is your key truth for this morning. God's basic design for marriage can be expressed in three words, leave, cleave, and weave. Leave, cleave, and weave. Amen. Amen. Leave father and mother. Cleave to your spouse. Weave together so the two become one for life. For life. Pause right there for just a moment. God's design is not starter marriages. And by the way, The moment the church speaks out against homosexual marriage or some other type of union like that, and the church does not equally speak out against heterosexual sin that infiltrates marriage, we give up the ground of truth. God's design is a man and a woman coming together in marriage united for life. That means Even if an old Facebook flame comes back into your life, that does not give the right to say, this was good for this season of my life. Now I have to go find something else. It is united for life. So when we look at this text, God's design establishes new parameters for human relationship. Prior to marriage, your family, your friends, may have been the closest human relationship of your life. But the moment somebody becomes married, your spouse is to become the closest human relationship in your life. They have priority. They get your best. God's design also shows his intentions in the relationship. We are to cleave to our spouse. The the word cleave, it means to unite with or to be joined to. God is not suggesting that married people just hang out a little bit more often with their spouse. But we are to be joined to our spouse. We are to be united with our spouse. What does that look like? Are we talking like joint checking here? Does it go deeper than that? Yes, it goes deeper than that. The next phrase tells us, they shall become one flesh. This unity is so deep that we go from two to one. From mine to ours, from your pain to our pain, from my future to our future. God took something from Adam to create Eve. He took a rib. And as God brings them together in marriage, what was taken is now returned, but better. This time as She comes in, it is a fulfillment physically and emotionally. The two shall become one flesh. Leave, cleave, weave. It's so easy, but it's also so easy to mess up. So here's how people mess it up. And if you recognize this in your own life, do not wait three months down the road to address it. Address it today. So here's, here's how it gets messed up. Instead of leave, cleave, and weave, people try to add, separate, and protect. Here's what I mean by that. People add the marriage relationship to every other relationship of their life. Instead of redefining relationships and the spouse becoming first, the marriage relationship is just now added into the mix with all the rest. The spouse becomes a roommate, somebody to split bills with, somebody to make sure you don't have to eat by yourself. That's not God's design. People separate their lives into these trivial categories of mine and yours. That's my car and your car. My money and your money. My kids and your kids, and that comes out a lot when they're acting up. (laughs) My plans and your plans. And here's the other one. People protect their individuality at all costs. They're deathly afraid of losing themselves. So they do their own thing. They solve their own problems. They pursue their own goals. And if if their spouse happens to fit somewhere in the process, the spouse is welcome to tag along, but they didn't redefine it according to God's standard. That's not two becoming one. That's one living for two. Many marriages will never experience the fulfillment and the joy and the intimacy that God intended because one or both spouses are too busy doing their own thing. And they just hope that one day when they get to where they want to go, their spouse is still there with them. That's not God's design. Make sure everybody's on the same page here. That is not God's design. Make sure everybody's on the same page here. Your spouse is not your roommate. Your spouse is not your business partner. Your spouse is not your baby mama. Your spouse is not your sugar daddy. Your spouse is not your cook, your baker, or your candlestick maker. Amen? Your spouse is your spouse god's design leave cleave weave leave cleave weave to become one flesh for life now the reason i have spent this much time describing the design is because until a couple is willing to look at god's design there's no reason to even talk about roles and responsibilities And there's no way that you effectively, long-term, work through the problems. Until it goes back to the design, you're going to keep dealing with the same issues. Now let me pause for just a moment. I know I am throwing out a lot of information this morning. I get that. I know that a lot of what I'm sharing is not the most popular thing that you're going to hear on a Sunday. I get that too. But one of the reasons it's so important that we are just painfully honest and we're just as clear and direct as we can possibly be on this subject, is there is a day coming not too far from now where preaching God's design for marriage will be illegal in this country. And if you don't think that's going to happen, I wish I had the faith that you do for what's happening in our country right now. So if we're not unbelievably clear and parents and grandparents are not unbelievably clear with their kids and their grandkids. They're not going to hear God's design and culture. They're not going to see it in the movies. They're not going to get it in, in school. It has to be that the church has to unapologetically be the church, and the church has to say we have a standard by which we live by, and it is the word of God. And we don't need to be ugly. We we don't need to be ugly on things. Our words need to be seasoned with salt. We need to be gracious in our dealings with others. We need to love people. I'm oh, I'm not saying go out and just be a Christian jerk to people. But I am saying in love, in intellectual honesty, and in spiritual integrity, we say, here's my standard. It's the word of God. And the moment I come off of God's standard, I've positioned myself on faulty ground. So as we close, I want to give an example, an illustration, so to speak, of why design is so important. Consider the military for just a moment. I went on the Department of Defense's website this last week to find out if there was any clearly defined statement about what is the purpose or the design of our military and here's what i found on the department of defense's website the purpose of the military is to defend the u.s and its interest it's to protect our security and our way of life pretty simple makes sense to defend the u.s and our interest to protect our security and our way of life now in the u.s This design is now carried out with six different branches. There were five. It was Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard, but with the recent instituted Space Force, we're now up to six. Now, each of these different branches of the military has their own roles and responsibilities in order to help accomplish the big goal, in order, at the end of the day, to defend the U.S. and its interests and to protect our security and our way of life. Okay, makes sense? Everybody on the same page? All right. Most of you. 33.4% of you, yes. Okay. So, hypothetically speaking, what would happen if the commander, commanding officers of each of the different branches of the military decided we no longer want to pursue that goal? We no longer want to be about defending the U.S. and protecting its interests, but rather we want to engage solely in humanitarian purposes. So let's say that they make that decision. And each of the different branches begins to do their own thing and they start to set up food banks around the world and they start providing clothes and supplies for the destitute and they build homes for the homeless and they establish clinics for medical care. And everything they're doing is great. It's not even taken away from the fact it's not good things, but it's not the ultimate purpose. But to carry those new endeavors out, they now need to redefine roles and give out new responsibilities. They reduce the number of tank operators, and they increase the number of cooks. They take away guns, and they give soldiers seed bags for planting crops. They do away with jets and missiles, and they replace them with cargo planes and commercial-grade ovens. But then one day, America comes under attack. Some country who hates America and hates what we stand for, they attack in this opposing nation, they send in troops and missiles and jets and tanks, and they're destroying everything. Tens of thousands of lives are being killed. Cities are being bombed. Businesses are falling apart. Life is chaotic. If that were to happen, God forbid, if that were to happen, would it matter how we rearrange our commercial great ovens? Would it matter whether or not we swap the blue seed bags for red ones? Would it matter whether or not we read another book on how to plant better crops? It wouldn't matter in that moment. Until the military returned to its purpose and design, the problems would not be solved. Until Marriage returns to its purpose and its design, its problems will not be solved. You can try to redefine the roles and responsibilities. You can read 50 different books on marriage. You can go to 10 different counselors. You can attend every marriage seminar on God's green earth. But if it's not leading you back to God's purpose and God's design, it's not going to solve the problems. We have to go back to the source. Now, some people might say, but Paul, I know people who've been married 40 or 50 years and their marriage looks nothing like that. I agree. Listen closely. There's a difference between remaining married under the same roof and living in marriage as God intended from the very beginning. There's a lot of people who they've just learned well how to be good roommates with each other. They treat with enough respect to make sure the fights are kept to the minimal. But at the same time, the joy, the depth, the intimacy, the togetherness that God intends marriage to be, they've not tapped into those particular things. The further we go in this text, the more intense and incredible we'll find marriage to be. God's concept of marriage is greater than any of ours. So if we were to experience what God experiences or what he wants us to have here, I guarantee you there would not be questions as to whether or not we need to be teaching this particular text in church. There would not be questions about whether or not this is a subject that is relevant for the believers today. God created humanity and God created marriage. Marriage has a purpose and a design. What is that? Leave, cleave, weave. United together for life. Now let me close by saying this. If you're married, engaged to be married, thinking about getting married in the future, I want to encourage you. Talk with other believers about God's design and how you've seen it lived and fulfilled the right way. Now, I I say, even if you have thoughts of being married in the future, this is, I, I say it all the time, now's the time to learn God's design. For those of us who are married right now, if you've gotten off of God's design, sometimes it can be really, really hard to steer things back. If you're not yet married, put this as a part of your dating questionnaire. Like when you're talking to someone who's a prospective marriage partner, ask them, how do you define marriage according to Scripture? And don't be okay if they just say, I believe it's biblical and we need to stay together. Let's pull that out just a little bit more. Talk to me about Genesis chapter 2. Have hard conversations. Ask the questions up front that you will be glad you asked 10 years from now. Parents? Parents? Here's how you prepare your kids. Teach them God's design so that when they're in that dating stage and they're looking for a potential marriage partner, they know what they're looking for. They know what God's design is. They understand it before they actually step into marriage. Ask the hard questions. Here's a way that we can even do this. In our connect groups, our Bible studies, talk about leave, cleave, and weave. Questions to ask, do we believe it? Do we actually believe that's God's design? Have we strayed from God's design? Are other relationships crowding out our relationship with each other? Are we making a concerted effort to unite together? Or have we gotten into a mine and yours mentality? Is our relationship defined as two becoming one or one living for two? Process those types of questions before God. Talk to each other. Find out from your spouse. This this is great conversation for a date night. This is great thing to say, when we look at leave, cleave, weave, do you think that defines our marriage? Or has our marriage more accurately been defined with add, separate, and protect? And where God begins to point things out, use that as a part of saying, God, I submit this to you. Would you live your truth through me here? These types of messages, if believers are willing to let God be God and his word be true, it will settle so many types of problems that we face down the road. But if we're not okay with God being God and his word being true, passages like this will just stick in our skin the wrong way. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow with me for prayer. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment. We recognize that this is a message that hits different people in a different way. We get that. But as we go into this time of invitation, it is my prayer that God would use his word, use his spirit in order to guide people to a place of healing and completeness that he intended from the beginning. So as heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment, our service, our invitation is not gonna be extremely long. We're at the very end of things right now. There might be some things that even today you've sensed God saying, here's an area in your life, here's an area in marriage that needs to be addressed. I want to encourage you, don't put it off. Take those things back to the source. Take it back to God. It might be that today you've got children or grandchildren, that they're wrestling in marriage, they're wrestling in relationships, and you're wanting to give biblical, godly advice, maybe it's a day today that you're saying, God, help me know how to pray more effectively for my family members. However the Spirit of God is leading you, I'm going to ask you to respond to him. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that your word be clear. We ask that your Spirit guide us in the truth and Lord we pray today that as a group of believers we will walk a path that is very very clear and lined out in your word God may our marriages may our families be on a strong foundation may they be according to your design and God we will thank you for what you do there we're grateful in Jesus name amen would you stand as we sing
1: I will build my life upon your love it is a f- foundation I will
2: message how do we respond number one is they just sang, I will put my trust in you and I'll not be shaken wherever the Holy Spirit finds you in this moment just listen the second thing I want to do to encourage you is to talk to someone we would love to see you out at our next step desk which is in the atrium out here to the left as you as you head Amen. out today Don't miss an opportunity. It can be a difficult message depending on where you find yourself, but it is exactly timely in every instance. We need a fresh surrender from the Lord, amen, each and every day. If you're joining us online, you can follow the prompts on your screen as well. We would love to hear from you as well and be a resource to you, but also just a family that cares where you find yourself. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we do not have PM service tonight. So we'll see you next Sunday. Hope you have a great week. For in the room, a couple more announcements. Um, If you are new to Sherwood, we're excited that you're here. Church family, is that true? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Please, please, please. We would love to see you out at the welcome desk. We have a gift for you. It's also just some Some resources to be able to connect you to what seems like a really, really big church family, but there's some awesome ways that we have to connect you to smaller groups. We want to be able to do that for you. Uh, Also, uh, if uh, you don't have anything to do right now afterwards, and that should be everyone, we had a great game day yesterday. Love being out at the park, and we want to share that with you as well. God has blessed us with a beautiful property. We want to be able to to have some fellowship time today. We've catered Riverfront Barbecue. Who doesn't like barbecue or baked chicken? We got some things okay for you. We'll have some games set out, bring some blankets and some chairs. But this is just a good time to relax after a big Sunday, right? To be able to relax, as the body. So come on out. Our location is at 2911. Leary Road in Albany, okay? It's a little bit of waste, but not too far. We would love to have you out. We'll be serving lunch starting at 1130, and we'll be out there until 2, okay? So we'd love to have you out. Get dressed for a little bit of heat. Bring some sunscreen, all right? It's going to be an awesome time. Have a blessed week. Again, we do not have Sunday night service. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you out at the park and next Sunday for worship.